Hey everyone, it's the Switch Focus Podcast. This is episode 87. I'm your host, Andy Corrigan. With me is Ginny Wu. Hi. And Andrew Brown. Hi. Uh, sound tired there, mate. Uh, and uh, this week we are going to talk about uh, all the news from Nintendo's Indie World Showcase and the stuff coming out of Gamescom. Uh, we're going to talk a bit about Doom 2 and Doom 3. Uh, touch more on Mutant Year Zero Road to Eden and its Seeds of Evil DLC. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, some of the Steam-style sale prices. That's hard to say. Try to say it ten times in a row. Steam-style uh, sale uh, prices. Steam-style sale yeah. prices. Steam-style sale prices. Steam-style <laughs> sale prices. Wacky-waving inflatable arm-flailing tube man. Uh, we're going to talk about Rad, uh, the new roguelike. Uh, and Andrew's been playing the original Valkyria Chronicles. So uh, let's get on, on with it and talk about updates from the previous episode. Okay, so first up, uh, last week I was sort of most of the way through uh, Doom 2. Uh, I finally finished it. Pretty much it's uh, more Doom, but with a, a couple of new enemies and uh, one new weapon in the, the super shotgun, which is kind of awesome because it helps you clear out hordes of the uh, weaker enemies in one shot, which is really neat. The thing that I found with Doom 2 is that um, they're, they're more inventive with the levels, so some of them can be more puzzly, uh, each has a hook. I think I did talk about that last week, now that I'm saying it out loud. Um, and that sort of carries over into the end boss, which is also kind of a puzzle. Uh, there's like several elements you need to figure out before you can even even do the, the end boss damage. The thing that I kind of didn't like about it was that it, the boss breaks the game's own rules. So you know like how I was saying last week when an enemy's on a different level, even though you can't look up and down, as long as you're aiming in the right direction, the shot will go up and down. Doesn't work on the boss. You have to be at the perfect level, a uh, particular height, uh, just to do damage, which was kind of annoying, um, especially when you're dealing with like waves and waves of constant bombardment from all these random enemies you can spawn. It was kind of annoying and put a little bit of a dampener on, on what a what was a otherwise you know fun experience going through this this old shooter uh i also did dip into the master levels so these are pretty much more impressive than the the episode four in doom one uh they were made uh basically id hired people to make levels to rival what modders were doing with the the wad packs and overall it's a, a pretty interesting selection they're independent levels so you actually select them from a menu you don't follow through them in any sequential order or anything like you just pick what you want to do um one of my highlights was i forget the name of it but it was like uh, express elevated a hill and it was just this big lift that goes up and down and at different points enemies will come on from the various connecting tubes that was kind of fun yeah good time worth looking at i, I didn't run through everyone i just sort of had a poke around for some of the more interesting ones and yeah enjoyed my time with it overall the other thing i was going to mention with both doom 1 and doom 2 is that uh, we've talked about how some old games have had like speed running built in mind and these are definitely a set of those because when you finish every level it gives you like a part time uh, which is you know the the best someone else has come up with and you have to kind of beat that I, I came nowhere near because I was playing way too conservatively <laughs> to uh, to beat like the two minute time levels but you know they're there for once you know a level inside out and you can run through get the keys and, and get to that exit immediately uh, but overall fun time uh, I started Doom 3 which I will go into in another section uh, so Andrew you had some uh, I guess their closing thoughts on Mutant Year Zero Road to Eden yeah I've beaten it now uh, so I have some final thoughts. 
This game is too easy on easy, and it's too hard on normal. So there's really, there's no middle ground like there probably should be between those two extremes. Uh, so I, after the last time we talked about this on the show, I just started the game over on a new file on easy difficulty. And I had to do that because a normal enemy health was just starting to scale beyond what I was able to deal with. Because once you get into a fight, uh, if you don't kill the enemy you're fighting in one turn, then every other enemy on the map gets alerted to your presence, and then you're in an even worse situation than you were already in. I guess what I learned in easy mode is what you're supposed to do to combat that is you're supposed to use your character's stun abilities. Uh, Borman, your, your boar character, he has the ability to knock somebody over by slamming into them, and that'll incapacitate them for a couple turns, which gives you more time to get rid of their considerable hit point meter before they can get up again. And a couple of your other characters also get the ability to lock down robotic enemies in much the same way. Uh, now, near as I can tell, that's the strategy you're supposed to use on normal, but even then there are still problems, because on easy difficulty, every time you leave combat, all of your abilities refresh, so you can just do that in every single fight you come across. But on normal difficulty and on hard difficulty, your abilities do not refresh after every battle. They refresh after you get a certain number of kills. So you really need to not just strategize individual fights, but plan out the order of fights that you do things in across multiple maps. That way you're sure that you have these abilities refreshed when you really need them. Uh, to clear out the particularly problematic enemies who end up drawing the entire map. And again, if I hadn't dropped down to easy, I probably would not have been able to finish this game in a, in a reasonable amount of time and in a, a reasonable level of <laughs> frustration. Uh, that was really discouraging. <laughs> but another thing that does make the game... A little easier later on and really gets your damage up is crit stacking. Uh, it's very possible with character builds and with equipment that drops to get it so that way your characters get crits almost every single turn so that's another way you can catch up with hit points and that alone made playing it on easy far too easy uh, but I'm sure playing on normal that's the only way you can even keep up with enemy hit points as for the story uh, like as, as the story opens up you're sent out into the wilderness of the zone, which is this like irradiated area that your characters live in, uh, to find a scout named Hammond. And that's kind of most of the game. Uh, you finally catch up to Hammond after like nine, ten hours, and then once you, you catch up to him, he tells you what the situation is, who the bad guy is, what their plan is, and there's like an hour of the game left after that. It, it's not weighed very well. Uh, it's like a, as like a story arc. It's just chasing Hammond, uh, and very slowly learning about the zone. And then suddenly there's a new bad guy, and they've got a plot, and you've got to stop them, and and you stop them, <laughs> and that's it. That's the end. But there is uh, a plot twist, which is an incredibly obvious plot twist. Uh, just just off the start of the game, but it becomes more and more obvious as you find. Uh, files to read and audio logs to listen to. It's one of those post-apocalypse games. And 
this plot twist really affects the morale of your characters and leads into the DLC, but it's so obvious that I just couldn't sympathize with their perspective at all with how hard it hit them. It's like, you should have seen this coming. Uh, but then you go into the Seed of Evil DLC where you go into the northwest corner of the map and it opens up a whole new can of worms in the zone. And I got to give it credit to the DLC. It, it does actually tell a more immediate story. It actually feels like there's an actual threat to the environment because these mutant creeper vines start appearing all over the map and even in your home base and just start strangling the life out of everything. So that's the situation you have to deal with there. And right from the start, you see it happening. So it actually feels like there's something you're solving, not just searching for a guy who then tells you what the problem you have to solve is. But then you get into the DLC and it actually increases the difficulty. Uh, clearly, they looked at the base game and they saw how much stun locking kind of busted the game wide open so they added new enemy types into this game that specifically counter that especially there are these pods that open up and release new enemies every few turns and once you once you get the attention of one of these pods every single pod on the map becomes active as well so pretty much you're you're kind of screwed and once you engage one of these pods you are then activating a map wide battle and I had to deal with several of those in the course of getting through the DLC. There's also a new stalker that you can play as. His name is Big Con. He's a giant mutant moose. I was kind of excited to <laughs> use him. Uh, but then I got him, and I saw that he has the same skills as other characters. He's got his own variation of it, but there's nothing new to see on this character. And when you first get him, he actually has fewer skill points. It's like he starts unlocking skill points at a later level than the rest of my party because they had all their skills capped when I got into the DLC and with the skill points you get when I first unlocked him I could only get about half of his skills unlocked so basically <laughs> I never used him because he started off gimped and he did nothing new or interesting anyway uh Gives you a reason to head back to the old zone. There are new enemy packs in the old zone, and every so often you'll get a phone call from the guy who's running the base, and he'll say, new enemies have popped up here. I never went back and fought them because I just I didn't want to go back to the old areas. I wanted to stay focused on the new areas. And unfortunately, that was where my enjoyment of the game really started getting derailed. I posted pictures of these on Twitter. Uh, there are two hats I found. One of them was a red, like, beer can hat i hope people outside of the u.s knows what those are but i would not be surprised if that's just a no, in, in, in england you'd find them commonplace in blackpool i reckon okay great okay. What? well anyway it, it's a red beer can hat it says make sweden great again on it oh yeah no. and then about a half an hour later i found another hat that is literally a stormtrooper <laughs> officer's hat and you're just supposed to wear these things like like it's a joke or something and i just i was not amused I, I was i was so mad i was ready to turn the game off but i knew i was almost done so i just carried on then i got to the final boss and i ran into some performance issues which is the first time i've seen like performance issues in the game and just when i was about to engage the final boss the game crashed and i was just i was just so fed up with the game at that point i just i just quit playing i just was like i don't i don't care about the dlc i'm done mm -hmm. so that's mutant year zero it starts off really promising but it 
doesn't end as well as it begins. It's got a bad aftertaste. Okay, uh, I'm I uh, still playing it in little little chunks. I'm still enjoying it, so I'll let you know when I get deeper in. Um, with that, let's uh, go through uh, packed latest Switch news. <laughs> Okay, first up is uh, some news of some sales. I assume this is on the US store. Yeah, but I, I kind of figured it might be some international crossover yeah, I at some point. I haven't checked the store this week, so I'm not sure. Uh, you don't check it every day? Uh, most days, just just not in the last two days. <laughs> well, those Resident Evil sales did eventually show up in every market. It just was staggered across the different markets over time so i'm sure it's gonna be the same case with these yeah i was surprised because we had it ages ago and i don't think they're back up on sale at this time so they must have just done a round the world trip with those um but currently in the us at least there's a super beat zonic uh, on sale for like 89 cents uh, which is 97 percent off troll and i is 90 percent off uh for three bucks bastion and transistor both by all accounts very good games for like four bucks each um and they're sort of in line with uh steam sale prices i guess uh, much like the the summer sale and the winter sale is that a thing we think we're going to see more often or is this just a special case for the publishers or what do we reckon if we go back far enough in our episodes here i actually talked about this how the switchless long-term success is probably going to rely on these steam sale level values showing up on the eShop, and my prediction was that they never would so i'm kind of surprised to see this uh now the real value would be like you know breath of the wild for five bucks someday mm-hmm. that'll happen but <laughs> <laughs> super beat zonic uh i'm sure jenny would give that game a hearty recommendation uh troll and i uh... by all accounts is is a garbage game but you know for three dollars <laughs> i'm willing to take a chance on it versus you know thirty dollars probably not uh, and Bastion and Transistor, both fantastic games, happy to spend $3 on them. So I, I was really happy to see, you know, prices sub $5 for both expensive games, which is what you normally see from a Steam sale, and also for great indie games. So I hope this does become the norm. Yeah, I'm. Uh, since we finished recording, I'm going to run off and check and see if Transistor's on sale over here, because I really want to play that, because I like to bust you. It is not on sale for us, unfortunately. I've got the store open at the moment, but we've got other offers on, which are, I guess, at the same sort of level of discount. We've got like 90% off Serial Cleaner, which I really enjoyed um, when I talked about it. So it's down to it's down to two fifty. Um, so I mean, for a, a, you know, two fifty to try a game out, you know, that's two fifty for a thirty dollar game. That's pretty pretty good. And there's a whole bunch of other games that are like ninety to eighty percent off that are down from like plus forty dollars down to like four bucks. So we've got other games here on sale that are not unfortunately um, Transistor or Super Beat Zonic, but definitely the same kind of level of discount. Which, yeah, which I think is a good thing. I think there are plenty of really good indie games here. Now, Flame of the Flood is 50% off on our store. Um, a bunch of other games that we've kind of briefly talked about, um, like Bomber Crew as well, that's really cheap now. So is um, Bloodstain is on offer. So is Blossom Tales. So there's a lot of good stuff on here. Just not Transistor. Um, but I think it's worth checking out. I think that these offers are going to become more and more common. I can't see that any of them here are like grouped together by publisher. Um, I like Best and Transistor being on sale on the US store. But it's it's a good it's a good assortment, um, and I think we're only going to see more of it. With that, we, we mentioned a lot of indies there. Nintendo held a Indie World Showcase 
uh, on the eve of uh, Gamescom, which was uh, one of their short trailers where they, they sort of talk about indies that we knew were coming or announce some new indies that are coming like towards the end of this year or next year. And I think there was a pretty good selection here. We'll, we're going to rocket through them because um, I'm sure we'll talk more in depth about them when they arrive and we can actually explore them properly. Uh, so first of all was Risk of Rain 2 is coming to Switch. Uh, this is like a, a multiplayer roguelite sci-fi third person shooter heavy on loot drops and this looked really interesting in Xbox's E3 conference earlier this year. Um, we've got Eastward which is a Deadpocalypse puzzle adventure game. Uh, has a beautiful sprite-based art style. Uh, I really like the look of that one. It kind of looked like The, yeah. the Last of Us with humour. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we have uh, Freedom Finger, which is a Adult Swim-esque shoot-em-up. Had an interesting art style. Um, the middle finger in the game. Uh, it's, it's like a shoot-em-up where, where you're playing as a hand <laughs> with the middle finger extended, which is censored, um, so kids can't see it. I think that's just censored oh, in the trailer, though, I'm sure, in the actual game. It's just yeah, that, right that's there. Yeah, that's a good shout. That'll be interesting. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> we have uh, I'm not sure on the pronunciation on this one so if I get it wrong Rookie, Rookie or Rookie, uh, Rookie. exploration adventure game themed around <laughs> Eastern European monsters that looked really neat uh, Torchlight 2 uh, which is a bit of a indie Diablo clone and at the time I know it was massively popular with Diablo fans uh, when Diablo 3 was not good uh, it is It is now, so don't worry about jumping into that. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, you're going to find both Andrew and myself. <laughs> it is great. Patrick of, of recommendations. Game of the year 2018! <laughs> but uh, Torchlight 2 is apparently also very good. Uh, we have Skater XL, which looks like it's a spiritual skate successor, because EA have no interest in bringing that back. To be honest, like skate games are just... Like, I have no interest in, in skateboarding in real life, but skate games are remarkably chill like for me all this needs to be is a bit like tony hawk's underground 2 and i'll be happy then we've got europa which is a 3d puzzle platformer that looked really cool super hot came out on the day of this video it is a time freezing first person shooter so time only moves when you as the player does so it's like all bullet time all the time as you try and puzzle your way through these like first person shooter areas looks really neat uh i've got it on psvr and i haven't tried it yet and i think that would be my preferred way to play it but uh looks yeah. very interesting now i am not a big fan of tower defense at all but dungeon defenders awakened is coming february 2020 that's a multiplayer tower defense game and it's a timed console exclusive on the switch uh that looks really neat uh andrew i, I seem to think you're more of a the, the biggest tower defense fan on the team that might not be saying much well i was there when tower defense you know first showed up on warcraft 3 and i just loved the idea of it i'm always intrigued by new tower defense games but i don't always play all of them but this one looked okay uh and i guess it has some kind of pedigree but i don't really know much about this franchise so uh february 2020 is still a long ways away so uh <laughs> uh I'm likely going to pick this up, but we'll see what happens between now and then. Yeah, I'm large, I'm largely blind to tower defense releases, so I couldn't tell you what the last one looked like. Wow, I've actually played every game in the Dungeon Defenders franchise, so I'm going <laughs> to pick this one up as well. Oh, cool, cool. <laughs> Uh, then we got The Tourist, which looked super interesting. That's coming November 2019, which is a, a voxel-based isometric action-adventure game. Andrew, you've got here that you think it looks like Star Tropics? It looks a lot like Star <laughs> Tropics, yeah. Really awesome visual style. I really like the look of that one. So I think Star Tropics is on the NES Online app, so if you want to play that, see if you might be interested. Yeah, I think it's on the 
the SNES Mini or NES Mini, whichever one that was on. No, it must be NES because it's on the NES Online app. Uh, Skellboy, Isometric, uh, Dungeon Brawler. I liked the art style in this, but I did not like the look of the game at all. Earth Knight, which is a time trial 2D platformer set in a world where dragons have basically taken over and it's like a high-speed running game, sort of reminded me a little bit of like the Rayman music levels. A very interesting art style, it like it was sprite art but looked almost like stop motion in the way it was animated and there's some neat transitions. Then they announced Hotline Miami Collection, uh, which includes one and two and was out now, kind of, uh, unless you're in Australia. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So they announced it. The reason why no one in Australia thought it was coming to Australia is because Hotline Miami 2 is banned. I'll get into why in, in a second. Much to everyone's surprise, it appeared on the store. It was up for around a day. I grabbed it uh, 15 minutes before it was taken down nice. uh, because it turned out it went mm-hmm. up. It had been refused classification and basically I'm like a federal criminal now or something. I, I'm not sure <laughs> on the, <laughs> the logistics on that. Uh, so I can I can finally play Hotline Miami 2. That was the first time it's ever seen light of day in Australia and it only saw it for 24 hours. I'll talk about Hotline Miami 1. I, I, I've just finished it just before the podcast actually so we'll talk about it here while it's topical. Uh, so this is one of those uh, one hit kill success through failure instant restarty sort of game um you know i'm i'm banging to these uh so it's set in like a top-down viewpoint and you basically get a mission where you have to go clear out a building of of all these bad guys are they bad guys we'll get into that shortly um and basically you go through floor by floor just basically murdering everyone in the building and because it's one hit kills it's very easy to die but every time you die you'll learn something about the level like where enemies are based where they come from what they can and cannot do uh, and the whole thing is very very hyper violent it's set in 1989 you play as a, a nameless character who has been dubbed by the fans as jacket because of his snazzy jacket <laughs> imaginative uh, and basically he starts off he gets uh cookies left on his doorstep uh with a, a basically a mission to go perform hit on the Russian Mafia and is given a rooster mask to hide his identity. Um, as you go through the game, he starts losing his grip on reality, he gets unreliable, you don't know what's real, and it all sort of culminates. Eventually you play as someone else who has a slightly different playstyle, uh, but is also fun. And it's someone who Jacket meets in the story and it's kind of, it opens up all this this element where it's open for interpretation, so... It's, we're talking, like, could it be alternate timelines? Are we talking because of Jacket's unreliability as a narrator? Is it what really happened? Or is he in a death dream? And all this sort of stuff. It gets very surreal, but it's all very enjoyable. Um, and then you find out what's actually happening towards the end. What I will say is, after you've finished a level, although it's hyper-violent, actually, especially more so on the Switch, because they've got uh, motion controls, when you down someone but don't kill them, you can then climb on them and bash the head in using motion controls. Oh. Yeah. Nice. Therapeutic. Manhunt. Yeah. Uh, so that, that that was a surprise, and I felt bad the second mm. I did it and stuck to using the button after that. Um, but once you finish clearing a building, like, the music goes off, you get this eerie, like, atmosphere noise, and you have to walk out and you see all the carnage that you've caused throughout the building. An old film, some of the younger viewers hopefully haven't seen it, but uh, taxi driver it reminds me a lot of that there's a final scene 
where it follows mm. uh, Travis Pickle's Path of Destruction. Uh, and it, it's very similar to that, and it just gives you your time to reflect on what you've done at the expense of fun. It's very clever, and but it is it is still fun, so it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't really get away from that. So Hotline Miami Two, I did just start that. I got about an hour in. So the reason it got banned is because it's got a scene of implied sexual violence uh, right at the beginning. Uh, it's framed as a movie set, so the you know the the argument is it's not really sexual violence because it's said in a movie set and um, but they do give you the option to skip that before you start the game i don't know if that's new i don't know if that's what they added in the hope that it would finally get past the australian classification board but it didn't <laughs> work it is it is an uncomfortable scene uh, um it, it's meant to be that i'm sure and but i it's all still done in like this pixel art cartoony thing so I, I can I can see why it got banned. Like that's that stuff is clear in the the classification board's laws that you don't do that. Same with using drugs in a positive light, which is why Daisy also recently got banned, then <laughs> re-released and unbanned, and that's a whole thing. The game itself is more of the same, but with a different storyline. I'm only an hour in, and there's a lot of moving parts, and I've played as like a different character in each level so far. None of them with clear motives, so I'm sort of waiting for that storyline to converge, and I don't know how it's going to happen. In Hotline Miami 1, you can pick different masks, and they give you different abilities, so like uh, one will give you like uh, lethal throws if you throw a weapon, or it'll make more guns appear in the level. Uh, the ones in Hotline Miami 2 seem to be more interesting, so the the first one I played as was a guy with a zebra mask, and that mask gives you a dodge roll. Uh, that was kind of mm. neat, but it took me ages to get used to it, and that kind of got me killed more than <laughs> more than it should have. <laughs> um, but so far, uh, so good. Um, I am enjoying it on a gameplay level. I'm interested to see if mm. it can say the same sort of things, because I remember when it was announced, it sort of felt like an unnecessary sequel, because the first game had sort of talked about violence everything yeah up. and yeah. talked about like player player complicitness and violence and then it was just like cool here's another fun murder simulator <laughs> um but yeah very very good uh, i'm glad i got it before the ban um <laughs> took hold and in both games the music is amazing it's the pumping 80s style electro dance music and it just is a great rhythm for for what you're actually doing Okay, so after they announced that, we got a bit of a sizzle reel where they just fired through a bunch of stuff, so we're going to do the same. So uh, Blasphemous, which is an impressive-looking gothic adventure platformer, uh, yes. getting Castlevania vibes from that. Maybe that won't disappoint me as hard as Bloodlines did. We'll see. <laughs> uh, Close to the Sun, which is a first-person adventure game. Uh, Cat Quest 2, which I know two other people in yes. this room who will be excited for that one. Now with co-op. Mm. That looks interesting. Uh, Spiritfarer, uh, 2D adventure where you sort of you're guiding the spirits of animals to the afterlife, uh, and there's some sort of like building management thing going on in that as well. That looks cool. Uh, Trine Four, the Nightmare Prince, is coming October eighth. Yes. Uh, I know. I <laughs> have always looked at the Trine games because they look very interesting, and I've just never got around to playing them. Uh, so I'm hoping they'll all go on sale on the Switch at some point, and maybe I'll grab them. Well, the Ultimate Collection is out the same day Ooh. as Trine Four, which has all four games in one package. Oh, nice. That's what I'm getting. Uh, and it's a bit like the the old SNES game, The Lost Vikings, where you, you switch between the characters to use their unique abilities uh, to help you get through. Uh, Creature in the Well is coming September 6th. Yes. Top-down adventure game where it, it looks a bit like it's um, Alleyway, where you're re- rebounding something to to get kills against the enemies, rather than trying to take down a brick wall because, you know, you hate brick walls. 
<laughs> and we've got uh, One Finger Death Punch coming de- December 2nd. That's a, a rhythm action game. Not really my jam. I, I thought Ginny might take a, a look at that one. Yes, we'll do. Uh, Best Friend Forever, which is a dog-based dating sim. I, I'm just w- wondering how long we'll uh, run out of animals for dating sims. It's from New Zealand. It's very cool. I know the people that are developing it. It looks really fun, and I'm really excited to see how it all meshes together. Nice. That comes February 14th, 2020. Uh, we got mm-hmm. Fogs, which is a puzzle platformer about a double-ended dog. <laughs> I was getting strong uh, Katamari vibes from this, Jeez, just from yeah. the art style. Uh, what the Golf, which is a weird fizzy, uh, physics-based wacky golfing game. Kine, uh, which is a physics puzzle. That's coming 2019. Uh, Hypercharge Unboxed, which is coming in the winter. I'm sure that's US winter. Mm. I don't know how, but I've got one of the developers on my LinkedIn, and he keeps showing videos, <laughs> and it looks very fun. Um, it's basically a shooter, but set in a toy world. Think violent Toy Story. <laughs> Army Men. Yeah, that too. Who remembers that franchise? <laughs> it used to be a big deal. Yeah, I remember that. Strangely um, oversaturated, I think, from memory. <laughs> yeah, that was what killed it, was it got oversaturated in like a couple of years. There were just too many army men games. <laughs> uh, then September 26th, please stop launching things in September. Uh, Northgard, which is a Viking RTS. Yes. I'm, I'm down for that. I like Viking history and I like RTS games, so count me in. Mm. Uh, Sparklight, which is a top-down action adventure. Uh, Munchkin uh, Quacked Quest coming fall 2019. That is a deck-building dungeon crawler from the look of it, but it is based on an actual uh, card game, which is about uh, manipulation and lying to your friends. Uh, (laughs) So I'm interested to see how that works in this video game offshoot. And then my favourite announcement, the one that's still bringing me joy a whole week later is uh, that Xbox and Nintendo loving is still going strong. Ori and the Blind Forest Definitive Edition comes to Switch on September yes. 27 and like I'll talk about it in depth when it launches because I will play it again but it's one of my all-timers. I played it a month ago and it speaks volumes that it comes out in a month's time and I will be more than happy to play it again a second time this year. Mm. Absolutely love it. And the soundtrack is amazing. That was it for the the Indie World Showcase. Uh, Then there's Gamescom announcements. So we uh, saw more footage of the Switcher. And the internet reaction to the footage was either, wow, this is pretty amazing, to this is the worst thing I've ever seen. (laughs) And no in between. And I can't figure out for the life of me why, because it runs better than I thought it would for sure. Simple answer, PC gamers. Yeah. I, I am amongst Yikes. those people now, and I still think this is amazing. And I, I'm just going to repeat what I said for Doom and, and the Wolfenstein games. I I probably wouldn't recommend that something like The Witcher 3 or those other games would be best played for the first time on the Switch. But if you're looking for a, an easy way to replay it, a convenient way to replay it, where you can, you know, sneak in an extra couple of hours, you know, by playing in handheld mode, the, the Switch port will be perfectly fine. It looks great. I played the game front to back on PS4. This looks, in terms of performance, not visuals, performance, looks pretty comparable. Even the load times are about the same. So I am blown away by this. I keep going on YouTube and looking at the footage that's come out on Gamescom. There's a 40-minute video on the official Witcher YouTube page. <laughs> this game looks like sorcery. I don't know how they've done this, but... <laughs> 
I am so hyped now to replay this on Switch. They have not compromised in the areas where I thought they compromised. There's a bit where he walks into one of the villages and the water looks amazing. And that was in Handheld. And like I was very pessimistic about Novigrad. Like every single video that's out there now, they walk through Novigrad as if to just go, yes, we got Novigrad running on the Switch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, tidbits from that um, came, it's coming October 15th. I've got my, my copy ordered already. Um, and it's been in production for 12 months. Um, do we know who's porting this? Saber Interactive. Ah, okay. Yeah, we did have a discussion on what they've previously done, haven't we? So, yeah. Um, we got news that Final Fantasy VIII Remastered is coming September 3rd. Uh, October 4th, we have Ghostbusters, the video game Remastered coming. Uh, that looks interesting. I missed that. Uh, back in the day, by all accounts, they were considering it Ghostbusters 4. Ghostbusters 3, but yeah. Yeah, sorry, Ghostbusters 3. And they had all the... Uh, you know, the original cast involved. Yeah, apparently Bill Murray just kind of disappeared <laughs> in yeah. the middle of recording. Oh, wow. So they just had to they had to work with what they'd done with him, <laughs> which is why, which is part of the reason Bill Murray's performance in that game is so, you know, legendarily uh, <laughs> lackluster, I guess is the word. Wow. <laughs> but I love this game. I thought it was great. But of course, that was back before the reboot made the Ghostbusters fandom really toxic, so I don't know yeah. what's I don't know what's gonna happen with this game, but I'm I'm getting it and I'm gonna stream it on Halloween and I love this game and I can't wait to replay it on Switch. Cool. Uh I it just gives me memories of the original Ghostbusters game, which was a weird uh, management sim, but it worked. And I loved it. <laughs> yeah. The, I played that one too. On the Commodore sixty four <laughs> and Spectrum. Uh that's really old computers uh, for the youngins. I played it on the Master System, but okay. <laughs> I think I had it on the NES as well. Uh, Pillars of Eternity 2 Deadfire is, has been reconfirmed and is coming soon. Uh, no word on a release date. And uh, November 5th, Mario and Sonic at the Olympic Games 2020 is going to come out. I have zero interest in that. <laughs> Who does? Oh, come on. Who doesn't, who doesn't love a good uh, sports Olympic <laughs> it, it, game? <laughs> it just seems to be a Dr. Robotnik nipple simulator. No! Oh, is it? Why would you? Are there Robotnik nipples? Yes. All I saw was Wario, who doesn't have them, and it's creepy as heck. Yeah, and <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say whichever whichever event has everyone in like tiny, like incredibly <laughs> tight underwear on the podium. I don't, I don't know if I need that in my life, but I'm glad that it exists for people that do want that in their life. At least they're not you know? wearing speedos. I mean. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. No budgie smugglers for this one, <laughs> luckily. Uh, and we've all the news out of the way. Uh, let's move on to what we played this week. Okay, so first up is uh, Doom 3 for me, as I alluded to earlier. So, uh, coming from Doom 2, Doom 3 is a bit of a departure for the series. It's a slower, more methodical take on Doom uh, this, of course, is is now moving away from the 2D sprites. It's it's uh, a proper 3D first-person shooter that came out uh, during the original Xbox era, so it's pretty old, um, and it, it kind of shows in a lot of ways. Um, before I get into that, let's, I'll just go over the story. You play a nameless space marine who's sent to Mars for a security detail, um, there is story with interesting characters, shady scientists, and that sort of thing, but it sort of happens around you while you're dealing with everyone else's mess. Uh, so obviously something goes wrong during a routine check, hell opens up on Mars, um, 
And then you're sort of thrown into the, the third person doom sorry, third person. First person doomy gunplay. From memory, I remember this game run you know, being a lot quicker. It feels a little slow and plodding. It's still fun, but it's more about uh, taking your time, lining up your shots for maximum effect rather than just, you know, sh- hitting everything you can with every bullet you have. Uh, the Switch port is based on the BFG version, which came out on uh, 316 PS3. Uh, it has all the DLC. It also means a change to the flashlight mechanic from the original game, which is a thing I both dislike and like. So, in the very first release of Doom, the mechanic was you couldn't have your flashlight up and your gun up at the same time. That was tense, because this is a game about nasties hiding in the darkness. This is about creatures climbing out of the walls to murder you. And when you have to pick between a light source and a gun, uh, it gets incredibly tense, especially when you switch to your gun and the the only way you can see the enemy is just from the, the flash <laughs> from, from your pistol or whatever. With the BFG division, they, they changed it, so it was a shoulder-mounted torch, so you only just had to... To manage its charge, basically, you can light up the the torch, but it only lasts for a short while. They said at the time with the BFG div- for the BFG version, it basically it was a a thing they had to do to get around performance issues, which I don't really buy because uh, it felt like such a great design decision. But the reason I dislike it is because that th- it made the whole thing really tense. But the reason I do like it is because I'm a big wuss when it comes to jump scares and darkness. So, <laughs> so I'm I'm fine with that. In terms of performance, speaking of that, uh, it runs pretty well on the Switch. It's weird because uh, flashlight shadows are off by default and the lighting was a huge deal when this game first released. Uh, and that is basically to, to circumvent potential performance issues on the Switch. But I've turned them on and I've had no issues whatsoever so far. But at the moment I'm only dealing with like a handful of enemies at the time. I am interested to see how that pans out when I get to slightly bigger environments and you know bigger baddies and more baddies and and go from there uh so far so good i'll, I'll keep you posted on that it's it's not amazing it definitely has aged a little and i'll keep you posted basically it's uh it's okay at this point interestingly i decided to watch the 2005 movie last weekend which took a lot of inspiration from this version of doom that is a terrible movie but a total uh, guilty pleasure for me uh, that is, it's sort of in line with uh, <laughs> the Godzilla 1998 film. I, I, I will just watch it if it's on, uh, even though I know it's bad. So yeah, that's it from Doom stuff. Uh, look forward to my uh, weekly Doom update next week, <laughs> as they've been panning out. Uh, Ginny, you have been playing a game called Rad, which showed up in a previous uh, Nindy showcase. Um, how's that one panning out? Um... <laughs> Sorry, I know that sound sounded very negative. Um, I'm not very... I'm not... I don't have a very negative impression of this game. It's just... I feel like the market's become oversaturated with this nostalgic 80s vibe. And Rad the game is just... Hours upon hours upon hours upon hours upon hours upon design aesthetic, upon voiceover, upon art style of that nostalgic 80s vibe. And not quite in the way that Hotline Miami is either. Hotline Miami has a lot of action going for it. Red, if you remember what the E3 demo looked like, uh, which I know Andrew does, it looks exactly like the E3 demo mm. still. 
the E3 demo looked bad. It, it immediately turned me off from this game that I was interested in. It was pretty rough. Um, but essentially, it boils down to humanity messing up and somehow causing two apocalypses. I don't know how we did it. Well, I mean, you know, we're probably headed there. I was but like, whatever. Jimmy, it's 2019. Um, <laughs> what the hell are you going about? <laughs> Yeah, um, so humanity made robots, I think. The, the voiceover that tells you this is very unclear about about exactly what happens. I've kind of pieced it together from listening to this same robot drone on and on at me for hours, um, and also context clues. But humanity makes robots look after things, but those just go away or something, like during the second apocalypse and then they just leave humanity by itself and um, you play as a child slash teenager that has the ability to harness mutations from the world around you and by mutations i mean like dangerous toxic things that would kill literally anybody else for some reason you're surrounded by adults they don't really tell you why you're like the only child in the village um or something they don't really explain what makes it so special like why you had to be a child is not really explained at all but essentially, you um, you go out there to revitalize the world because when you run outside, apparently your footsteps make things grow, like grass and flowers and whatnot. And your job is to reactivate a bunch of machines around the world that repopulate the earth with greenery and eventually, I guess, undo the apocalypse. That's the story. Um, and there's a robot uh, which runs everything. He's called the Elder, so very much like Mutant Year Zero. He's called the Elder, and he speaks like a broken arcade machine. Like, you know that really deep voice from Candy Crush that, that like, announces different levels and says things like, oh, yeah, like, in a super weird deep voice? That's this robot's voice the whole time. And he narrates everything from the, like, menu options. Like, if you tab and press, if you, like, tab to a menu, he will narrate each option in that same annoying voice. He will talk about what you did. His speech is just, is just nonstop talking. It's non-stop talking, and it is, it's it's really, really jarring. I know that it's a callback to something. I wasn't alive for any of these references, so all like, my <laughs> 80s knowledge is like retrospective. All right? It's all retrospective. <laughs> tell us what happens when you pause the so, game. Oh, right, yeah. It, it tells you that. He t- talks to you about it. Uh, you pause it, and he says something like, I think it's like, pause or something. It is weird, annoying voice. Like, he literally, you cannot do anything in this game in its menus without this voice going pause menu volume like it's it's <laughs> horrific it is frankly horrific so um there's that and i wish i wish i could play with sound off but i've been relying on sound to provide contextual clues to some enemy attacks because um the way that the 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 graphic the motion blur is a big deal in this game so when you're running around sprinting from enemy to enemy and some of them blend in with the ground. I mean, we're talking enemies are literal rocks that shoot things occasionally. And when you're running around in this motion blur and they're moving and you're moving, it's really hard to actually see when the enemy is doing something and when it's just kind of moving around. So I've been re- relying on the sound to provide me with contextual clues when I'm about to get hit by something. So I found it impossible to play with the sound off. So I've just been suffering through this voiceover the whole time but other than that it's a pretty standard roguelike um you get two randomly generated levels per section of the game with underground traversal areas where you can receive power-ups and new mutations which don't really cost anything these are free but then items in the game cost things but then some mutations also cost things but you're not really sure why like there's no real upgrade 
on the stuff that does cost money. I suspect it is all random. But then again, that being said, the E3 demo level is identical to, to the level that the game spits out initially. So maybe not everything is randomized. Maybe some content is standard to make traversal or whatever easier. You know, there's no real tutorial though, so it's not really for a tutorial purpose, but maybe not everything's randomized. It's not entirely clear. But unlike most roguelikes where you're discovering a map as you go and you're trying to figure out what's happening, the mini map essentially has a layout of each level area already set on it. It tells you where the mutation power-ups are and and where I guess doors are and stuff like that. So you're not really the exploration element that a lot of people find appealing in a roguelike is not 100% executed here. Um, it's more about, I think, the enemies that you deal with, the mutations that you can get, some of which are great, like wings, some of which are not cool, um, which is you farting out a bunch of clones of yourself that don't really do a lot. So, I mean, there's there's a lot there's a, there's a lot here to, I think, unpack and to, to, to toy with. But if you're looking for a game that sticks very strictly to what roguelikes have to offer or a game that sticks very strictly to what looked like, I think initially, an, an action RPG type presentation um, of the game and combat, you're probably going to find something that straddles both of those areas but doesn't really execute on either vision entirely compellingly. The music is... 80s, the game's 80s. If you if you recognize any of the references or you care about people saying the word rad a lot, because the game is rad as in radioactive, but people say the word rad as well and groovy. I don't know, if you miss if you miss your aunts talking about or your relatives talking about the 80s and disco or whatever, maybe this will be a great thing for you, but I feel like it relies too heavily on the 80s aesthetic and doesn't really offer a whole lot else to go with it so if you don't have that frame of reference and you don't have that that want to relive this strange swedish sounding deep voice announcer narrating pretty much everything in your life then it probably is gonna be a bit of a miss for you the plot is neither here nor there nothing really gets explained adults hate you i mean it's it's an interesting game um, interesting premise. I, I would say mechanically well designed for what it wants to offer, but it looks just like the E3 demo. And if you weren't sold on the E3 demo or sold on the premise of the game at that point, nothing really has changed. Okay, disco. Okay, uh, yeah, it certainly wasn't when I had my eye on in the slightest. So uh, yeah, sorry to hear that didn't really pan out. I have a really bad track record with Double Fine games, so I, I was wary from the start on this one. <laughs> it was fine. Like, it was a decent way to kill 10, 15 hours. Um, but, like, I think longevity of the title passed that. Cool. Uh, Andrew, and um, finally, you've been playing the original Valkyrie Chronicles. I think you picked it up in a sale, he said. Yeah, it was on sale for almost half off, and I had some gold coins, so I bought it. And then the next day, Okami went on sale, like always. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really know what to say about this game because it, it so far seems to be almost the exact same game as Valkyria Chronicles 4, which I think I want to say all three of us liked it. Yep. Uh, and this seems like... Yeah, I like Yeah, it, it seems like almost the exact same game, just you know, different characters, different story. And at the start, you meet your two main characters who are Alicia and Wilkin. Wilkin is the son of a general who's just graduated from college and he's coming back to town, to his hometown, just as this war is breaking out, and so he meets Alicia, who is an apprentice baker and also a member of the local militia, 
sticks him up at gunpoint because he's standing around drawing pictures of things, so she thinks he's a spy. And hijinks happen. They end up saving the town from an attack, and they get enlisted into the militia and conscripted into the the overall army as this war breaks out. It's got a really interesting system. If you've never played the Valkyria Chronicles games before, they're, they're kind of like action shooters, but they're also turn-based strategy games. Uh, you, you pick a character and you can move them around the environment like it's a 3D action shooter, but everything is turn-based. So you're only moving that one character. Any enemies you pass by will open fire on you, but they can't move. So if you get yourself behind cover, you'll be fine. So you got to press forward with your different characters and attack enemies and accomplish different objectives and it's it's a really really cool system and there's a lot of there's a lot of systems for you to manage back in your headquarters like upgrading your individual classes and watching a lot of cutscenes that's not a complaint it's just it's just what the game is there's a lot of cutscenes <laughs> in this mm-hmm. you, you got to sit through three or four cutscenes between each mission <laughs> so uh, hopefully you're invested in the story and these characters and I, I actually was i had the same experience in valkyria chronicles 4 it's the same thing here i i am interested in these characters and their motivations and the the things that they get up to and this is a conflict very much based on world war ii so there's this this group of people called the Darksens, who everybody hates for some reason. I haven't gotten far enough to really find out why, but really the, the parallels between the Darksens and the Jews could not be more blatant. <laughs> uh, so, um, but I haven't made much headway on this game, really. Uh, I do like it. I just kind of stalled out on games right now because I'm so interested in what's coming starting next week as we get into the holiday release season as it comes upon us uh that I, I i had a hard time concentrating on this game so i haven't made much <laughs> progress on it unfortunately but based on my experience with valkyria chronicles 4 this is more of the same game and you can get this game for much cheaper so yeah i, I like this game just as i liked valkyria chronicles 4 I, I think a large part of why valkyria chronicles 4 leaned so heavily into matching this one is because uh the there was like that spin-off in the same universe that was terrible and i oh, think oh that sucked yeah it sucked so much <laughs> I've, I've heard a lot of people complaining about the games that came out between one and four and i'm like i have no desire to play yeah. these games uh, two's, two's pretty good but it was a psp exclusive weirdly um and it worked it worked really well but yeah people wanted it on the platform they played the others on i the the world war Two thing is funny because i've been playing what i think is gearbox software's best series brothers in arms on my pc and the way I described uh, Valkyria Chronicles 4 to someone the other week was uh, Brothers in Arms, but JRPG. <laughs> and I think that's that, that's near enough. Mm. Sure, yeah. Cool. So uh, with that, uh, let's talk about what we're playing this week. Okay, Andrew, start with you. There's a game coming out next week called Vambrace Cold Soul that looks like uh, more of a plot-based Darkest Dungeon game. Looks awesome, but it's gotten pretty bad reviews so i'm hesitant to put money in it uh so the games i'm playing instead are collection of mana and decay of logos both out next tuesday decay of logos looks really interesting i'm just gonna plow through with uh, doom 3 and uh, hotline miami 2 and fire emblem in between that's that's just gonna be a slow burn for me i think i have to accept that with the the september we're gonna have um and Ginny. September. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was gonna say that's gonna be a a wild time. I'm playing Oninaki. 
um, which I played a little bit of, of this week, but didn't get as far as I wanted to. So I am going to crack into that um, over um, the course of the next coming week, I guess. And I'm going to be at PAX West next week, so I will be giving y'all a PAX West report on all the cool Switch stuff that I end up seeing. Yeah. It's going to be great. Uh, yeah. I'll try and come up with a punnier name for that. You leave that with me. <laughs> try to get some hands-on sure. time with Switcher. Oh, yes. yeah, I will try to, actually. Yeah, that'd be nice. So that's it for episode 87 of the Switch Focus podcast. Thanks for listening. Uh, if you enjoyed the episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps us to get noticed. You can also listen and subscribe on Stitcher, TuneIn, and other podcast services. We're on Spotify now. Uh, be sure to join our Discord server to interact with the lively Switch Focus communi- yeah, community. Follow us on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, and at switchfocuspodcast.com for updates, news, and other content. Links are in the show notes. If you want to support the show, you can buy us a coffee. Details are on our website. Thanks in advance. Uh, and if you want to follow the three of us individually on Twitter, you can do. Uh, I'm at Flame Rose Toast. Andrew is at Play Critically. He also streams at twitch.tv forward slash Play Critically. And Ginny is at Ginny Woes. It just seems to be a Dr. Robotnik nipple simulator. Actually, especially more so on the Switch because they've got uh, motion controls. The music goes off, you get this eerie like atmosphere noise and you have to walk out and you see all... It just gives you your time to reflect on what you've done at the expense of fun. And basically I'm like a federal criminal now. Yeah, that's true. No budgie smugglers for this one.